Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We have different gatherings throughout the month. For more info, go to wearesya.com and follow us on Instagram at wearesya. Well, we've been walking through this theme of audacious faith this year, right? And particularly, we've been in a series the past few weeks called Faith University. And I don't know if you know, but we're actually smack dab in the middle of that series right now. Like you've been here for a few weeks, you've been coming, this is the middle, now we just got a few more weeks left. So if you were thinking about giving up and not coming, please keep coming, you only have a few weeks, okay? And if you come every single week, you watch every service, then you're gonna get your PhD in faith. You're gonna get a diploma, you're gonna get a mug at the end of the series, so we would love to have you join us for the rest of it so that you can complete your PhD in your faith. And if you still need that little commitment card, we have plenty for you at the info counter, so after service, just swing by, pick one of those up for you, for a friend, and keep tracking with us as we're going through this awesome series. Now, over the past few weeks during this series, we've talked about things like how do we have faith amidst fears, amidst hard times, We talked about faith that pleases God. And last week, Caleb Walden preached a phenomenal message where he talked about the goal of our faith. What is the purpose of faith? So today, here's the question I want us to tackle. How do I know my faith is real faith? Translation, how do I know my faith is the kind of faith that's gonna move those mountains like Jesus said it would? How do I know that I can be assured that God is gonna do something about the things that I'm going through in my life? Listen, I want you to hear two essential things today. First, I want you to hear what faith is. I want you to hear what it is. And this weekend when Pastor Ricky Jenkins preached, he shared this great quote from Tony Evans about what faith is. He said, faith is acting like a thing is so, even though it isn't so, in order that it might be so because God said so. That was a tongue twister, right? You're like, Ruby, what What did you just say? What was that? Okay, let me say it again. Let me say it a little slower. Faith is acting like a thing is so, even though it isn't so, in order that it might be so because God said so. Here's the second thing I want you to know. I want you to hear how faith is authenticated. And when you think of authenticated, I want you to think of the word accepted. That's God saying, that's the real thing. That faith is the real deal. And that's what our passage tonight is is all about. That's the topic of our text. Now, our text today is gonna come from James chapter two. And James, who wrote this book that we're gonna dive into, was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, let me just pause for a minute. Could you imagine being the half-brother of Jesus? Like, Jesus, Jesus? Like, your brother is literally perfect. He can do no wrong ever. He's always right. Now, some of you are sitting and you're thinking, well, I don't have that problem, Ruby. Like, my siblings can definitely do wrong. Like, I get it. I have a younger brother. I get it. But Jesus was perfect, okay? And that's where James finds himself. He's the half-brother of Jesus. So we're gonna dive into chapter two together. So right now I'd like for you to pull out your Bible, pull out your phone if you have it on the app and go ahead and pull up James two. And yes, I'm giving you permission to pull out your phone in church, okay? Just resist the urge to post 
about how amazing that pizza was before service. That can wait. Just pull up James 2. We're gonna dive into it. As I read this passage, it's, it's a good chunk of scripture, but just, just stick with me, then we'll, we'll break it down together after. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac? on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. I love that. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Have any of you ever watched a show that was on a while back on PBS called Antique Roadshow? Anybody? One person, two people, let's go. Three, four? Okay, I'm in good company tonight, awesome. You've seen this show before. Well, if you haven't, that's okay. Let me give you a little idea of what the premise of this show, Antique Roadshow, was all about. There's these appraisers that would go from city to city where local people would bring their heirlooms, they'd bring their trinkets, you know, and try to see what it's worth. All their family's treasures and see what these appraisers would say it's worth. I love antiques, so I love this stuff. I'm all about it. And on one of these episodes of Antique Roadshow, there was an Air Force veteran who told an appraiser that he purchased a Rolex watch when he was on duty in Thailand in 1970. And he said when he purchased this this beautiful watch, he bought it for only $350. There's him talking about it, sharing his beautiful prized possession. He goes on to tell the appraiser that he kept it in this little box for 50 years. It stayed in his attic right next to all the Christmas stuff, probably all the decorations just shoved over for 50 years, not touched. He had all the right stuff. He had the paperwork. He had the receipts. He had the box. It was in mint condition and had been in that attic for years. So the appraiser begins to start asking him questions. He's like, okay, well, tell me more about this watch. When did you find it? How much was it? And then finally, after the appraiser assesses this watch, he says, sir, You'll be glad to know that this watch would go at auction for $700,000. $700,000. Now you can imagine the man was so happy and he was so shocked. In fact, he was so happy and so shocked that he actually fell. He just fell over. Look, this man just passed out. He couldn't believe it. He said 700,000 and just fell over. He was so shocked and so happy. 
Now, why did he fall over? Because his whole life changed in a moment. Here's the lesson, friends. It was never that he didn't have a treasure. The problem was that he never took it out of the box. The problem wasn't that he didn't have the treasure, he just never took it out of its box. So as we come to our passage and we circle back to what we read in James chapter two, James is saying there's a lot of us who have faith, but the reason it's not working is because we haven't let it out of the box. You haven't let your treasure out of the box. And James wants to show us what it takes to let our faith out of the box, to practice and live out obedience to God. I wanna break up our time tonight into three sections just to help us get a better understanding of this passage. First, we're gonna talk about what James is not saying. So I think it's important to know what he's not saying, right? Then we'll follow that up by talking about what James is saying. And then we're gonna talk about how to apply it, right? How do we apply this obedience in our lives? So let's start with the first one. Let's jump into what James is not saying, okay? Because just as important as understanding what James is saying is understanding what theologically James is not saying in this passage. James too has actually been controversial in many circles and in the church for, for centuries. Maybe you've heard of Martin Luther. He was a Protestant reformer who helped the church rediscover this core doctrine of justification by grace through faith. And this, this man, Martin Luther, actually had so many issues with James chapter two that he actually took it and ripped it out of his Bible. Like he took James and just ripped it, threw it out and pretended like it wasn't even there. So dramatic, right? Like he loves the drama. He took it out. And his contention is captured in verse 17. Verse 17 is really the epicenter of our passage. It says in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So here's the question. Is James flipping the script on us and now saying that Jesus saves us on account of our works? Or more plainly said, does Jesus accept me? Does he save me and grant me a seat in heaven because I'm a good person? Pew Research Center interviewed thousands of Americans and they asked them that question. They asked them, what basis are you going to heaven? And you know what half of Americans said? 50%, they said, because I'm a good person, I mean, probably. And here's the problem with this way of thinking. The Bible doesn't seem to think that we're all that good. I hate to burst your bubble tonight, but you're not perfect. We've all sinned. Maybe a friend of yours, or maybe even you, have said something like, well, I just need to follow my heart. Right, have you heard that? I just need to follow my heart. Well, the Bible teaches us this is a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea to follow your heart. I don't know about you, but if I decided I was just gonna follow my heart, it would probably lead me to some pretty strange and some pretty scary places. I mean, sometimes, you know what my heart is telling me when I get home after a long day, I'm sitting down, I'm like, well, my heart's telling me I just need to eat a whole bag of Cheetos every night before bed. Like, it's what my heart wants. It would lead you to some pretty scary places. But aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't wait around for us to become good enough before he came and died for us? I know I sure am. 
He died for us while we were still yet sinners. So you can see now why this passage, James 2, is a little problematic for people, right? Is, is James flipping the script? This doesn't seem to make sense. We've got to deal with this. We have to address this. First things first, there is no such thing as a theological contradiction in your Bible. Everything the Bible has to say about Jesus is consistent from the Old to the New Testament. Everything the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit, consistent. Everything it has to say about salvation, consistent. You see, James is not reversing everything that the Bible has to say about justification by faith. You see, he's not reversing Ephesians 2.8 that says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. He's not reversing Romans 5.8 that says, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not reversing those. And here's how we hold this balance because this is a tension that needs to be held. And here's how we hold this balance. Where Paul brings explication to how our Christianity begins, James brings explication to how our Christianity ought to continue if it is the real thing how it ought to continue. Where Paul shows us how God justifies, James shows us how God now sanctifies. This is the tension. Barclay says, the fact there is no one can be saved by good works, but equally, no one can be saved without producing works. How do we hold this? I love my husband, Cole. If you know him, you probably love him too. He's just the best. He was at summer camp this week. Yeah, you can give Cole a little shout out. I like it. Come on, we'll give him a little shout out. Now, Cole is the biggest WWE fan of wrestling you'll probably ever meet. He's the biggest Chiefs fan. And we've been married for four years. And this is actually a photo that was taken on our four-year anniversary this year in May. So we've been married for a few years now. And let me tell you, I, he is just my favorite person. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. He's just my person. But what if after we got married four years ago, we took our vows, we had this beautiful wedding. What if after that, I never spoke to him again? It's like, peace out. What if I never talked to him again? I never served him again. What if I never spent time with him again? What if I never told him I loved him? Again, since that day, I never, never even said it. Well, it would be pretty hard for you to believe that my love for Cole is real, right? James is saying, if you really love God, you started out with God, you gave your heart to God, you're with him, but then you don't ever serve him, you don't ever talk to God, you don't ever obey him, you don't respond to him when he talks to you well, then you'd be hard-pressed to say that your love for God is real, right? Let's shift our focus onto what James is saying. What is James saying in our text? James is saying you can have a live faith, if you, you can't, excuse me, you can't have a live faith if you have dead obedience. You can't have a live faith if you have a dead obedience. He's saying professing your faith is one thing, but putting that faith into practice, that's a whole nother thing. 
He's saying, if you trust God with your heart, you ought to be doing something for God with your hands too. Basically, if I can just put it in really plain terms, if I can just be really real, James is saying, talk is cheap, (laughs) right? Talk is cheap. You gotta walk the walk. Notice his illustration here. Let's say you run into somebody who's struggling. They're hurting, they're hungry, but all you say to them when you see them is be warm, be filled with food, see ya. This is like when people post that they need help and then what do we respond with? You're gonna know right away when I say it. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Sending positive vibes your way. Sending you my thoughts. We see this a million times, right? I've done it, we've all done it and said this before. But James is saying, if you've been near Jesus, then you should be showing Jesus-like behavior. You should be showing and reflecting Jesus. So what is Jesus-like behavior? Great question. It's engaging with the poor. It's engaging the single mom who's struggling to keep it all together. It's engaging the people in your community that are struggling with homelessness. It's engaging that student or that coworker that's just a little weird that you don't wanna sit with and no one sits with them at lunch. It's engaging those types of people. I don't want you to miss this tonight, what James is saying. We need to start praying not only with our mouths, but with our feet, right? We need to pray with our mouths and with our feet. It's one thing to believe in God. It's a whole nother thing to put your faith in what you believe, right? When you came in tonight and you were deciding where you wanted to sit, you're walking in, maybe you had your pizza in your hand, you're coming in and you're looking for your seat. Maybe you have a seat that's your seat. You know what I'm talking about? Like any of you have a seat that's like your seat, you sit there every week. I know, I see you in your seat. So I see you in the same seat whenever I'm up here. I know, you got your seat. But anyway, you get your seat, you go to your spot and you believe it's a chair, right? Like I can look at this and say, that's a chair. I believe that, I know that to be true. But I don't actually trust it. I don't actually put my faith in it until I sit in it, right? I put my whole weight in the chair and I put my faith in the chair that it's going to hold me. James is saying real faith in God is real obedience to God. Real faith in God is real obedience to God. And I love in this passage how he gives the example of the story of Abraham. And if you haven't read this story before, I would really encourage you to go read it this week. It is a fascinating story about faith. So that's a side note, but go go read it this week. But basically, Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And here's the thing. Abraham met God. He was saved by God when he was 75 years old. That's when he came to know Jesus. So it's not too late, right? It's not too late to come to know the Lord because he came to know God when he was 75. But something essential here is he wasn't called to sacrifice Isaac until decades later, almost 40 years later to be exact. And I think, I think that's the whole point of the story. The point is Abraham didn't have to obey God for salvation. He obeyed God from salvation. Not for his salvation. He obeyed him from the overflow of his heart, from salvation. 
Now, verse 21 says, he was therefore justified by works. Now, the word justify there is this idea of vindication. And Abraham knew that his faith was the real stuff. I think God gave him this opportunity to show him and say, Abraham, your faith, it's the real deal. Your faith is the real stuff. Friends, the point is this. You can be saved and still struggle with disobedience. I want you to hear something key tonight. This is huge. You cannot miss this point. Obedience does not equal perfection, okay? If you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, man, Ruby's asking me to be perfect. Well, no, I'm not. You're missing the point. Obedience, it doesn't always equal perfection. Are any of you here tonight afraid of snakes? Anybody? Yeah, like everyone just raised their hands. So good, I'm not alone. I'm scared of snakes. I don't like snakes. I don't know anyone that does like them. But when you kill a snake, you often have to cut off the head. Okay, I know, I'm sorry, that's a little gross, but you have to cut off the head. And if you've ever witnessed this, you've ever seen this happen, then you know this phenomenon happens sometimes when you kill a snake. Sometimes it's still moving, still wiggling. Gross, right? Even picturing that, you're like, ooh, you're wiggling too. You're like, ooh. Sometimes it's still moving. But when we put our faith in Jesus, Christ chopped off the head of the snake. Sin has no power over us and we're on our way to heaven, right? But until we get there, we may still experience some wiggling. We are saved, but we still struggle. We still wiggle at times. So let me ask you, how are you doing with obedience? And maybe you never thought about that question before until tonight. That's okay. Start pondering that. How are you doing with obedience? Are you heeding the voice of Jesus in your life? Are you doing what he's asked you to do? Are you saying yes to the things he wants you to take on? And just as important, are you saying no and letting go of the things that he's asked you to let go of? That one's for me. Let's finish our time together by talking about how we can apply this. How can we live out obedience in our lives? How can we manage this tension that James is talking about in James chapter two? How can we apply this in our daily lives? Well, I have three things for you. So as we go through this list, stick with me and I'm gonna give you three ways that we can apply obedience this week for us to all practice. And I'm with you. I'm gonna be practicing it with you, okay? All right, number one, we got partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. The idea here is that when God commands us something, he expects us to fulfill the entire command. In James 2, 11, it says, if you commit adultery, but, sorry, if you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you're still a transgressor of the law. You've still sinned, right? You've still messed up. Let me put it this way. Think about when you were a little kid, right? And your mom or your dad or your caretaker asked you to do chores. And they said, okay, here's your chore list. And could you take out the trash? That was always my like least favorite chore. I don't know about you. But that's on your chore list, okay? They said, take out the trash. You know what you probably didn't do? 
you probably didn't put it out of the trash can, tie up the bag and sit it right back down and walk away. You probably didn't do that, I'm assuming. (laughs) What you probably did was you probably bagged it up, took it all the way out to the trash can outside, by your garage, wherever, dumped it in and waited for the garbage to come and take it. You fully obeyed, you completed the whole job. You didn't just partially do it, or if you did, you probably got in trouble. (laughs) But you fully obeyed. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Number two, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. You know, sometimes I think we tell ourselves that we're gonna get something done that God's commanded us to do. I would say, I'm gonna do this. But then we find ourselves not acting on it. We find ourselves being delayed in our obedience. And God truly, God is just not honored when we delay our obedience to him. Think about it in terms of your workplace. If your boss asked you to complete a deadline, to complete a project, and you didn't get it done, you know what that does? Number one, it dishonors your employer, right? It dishonors your boss, you didn't do it. And then secondly, it puts the whole company in jeopardy. It doesn't just affect you anymore, it affects everybody. Delayed disobedience is still disobedience. Number three for you, half-hearted obedience is still disobedience. Now, the only reason God commands you to do these things is because he wants to change your heart for the better. It's a heart transformation process. That's what God is after. He's after your heart. And the truth is, whether you want to admit it or not, you can follow God's commands with your hands, but be very far away from God with your heart. I don't know, when I was studying that this week, that one like hit me. Like you can be following God and you can be doing all the things for him with your hands, but you can be very far away from God in your heart. You can forgive someone with your words, but not really forgive them in your heart. You can give generously, but not give with a generous heart. You can encourage someone, but not really encourage with an encouraging heart, right? Our half-hearted obedience is still disobedience. Back in 1980, there was a young lady. Her name was Rosie Ruiz. This is a picture of her. And she actually competed in the Boston Marathon. Now, if you don't know this already, the Boston Marathon is pretty prestigious, okay? It's probably the most prestigious of all marathons. You have to make a time, you have to qualify to even get in and participate in this race. But Rosie did it. This girl, Rosie, she made it into this race despite being a professional athlete. She wasn't even a professional athlete and she'd never even run a marathon before. She made it. How did Rosie make it into this marathon? People were shocked. But during the race, surprisingly, she was actually ahead of the pack. She was ahead of everyone by miles. And not only that, she was on pace to break all kinds of records. Like she was blowing everyone's minds. So as you can imagine, the crowd is just cheering her on. She's like this underdog story. They're cheering for her. And as she crosses that finish line, they're screaming, they're chanting, and she's crowned the champion. She wins the Boston Marathon despite never running a marathon. So they took a step back and they said, you know, we need to investigate her win. 
let's see if this is, this is legit. There's a lot of questions around this. So they actually did an investigation. And once they did this investigation, they learned that after Rosie started the race, she actually left the race. She got on a subway for 16 miles, then got off the subway and came right back. First place, woo And when her cheating was discovered, she was of course disqualified from the race, right? Of course. Now, some of us have started living this Christian life, but have in our own ways, in our own ways, jumped onto the subways of life and taken some detours. But we know that only those who follow the rules, who run it the right way, will be rewarded with the medal. So my question to you is, have you gotten on the subways of life and taken some detours lately? Have you cut some corners? Have you said, you know, the subway looks a lot easier. Like that looks a lot prettier and you've just jumped on. No one's gonna notice. No one's gonna know. I'm gonna show people Jesus, but in my heart, I'm not gonna practice it. Have you jumped on the subway? I want you to know tonight that you can choose to get off the subway and you can run the race the right way. It's not too late for you. You can run the race the right way. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, wow, Ruby, you know, I didn't expect to come to church tonight and have to just be perfect and, you know, always be obedient. You're missing my point. You're missing it. You see, Jesus, he didn't come to die for people that were just perfect. He came to die for the people that took the subway, right? He came to die for you and for me. Satan is trying to make you feel guilt and shame. But Jesus is saying, I died for you. I died for people who decided to take the subway and take the easy road. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Thank goodness. I hate to burst your bubble, but you're probably gonna sin again. Maybe you sinned on the way in, you messed up on the way into church, or you're gonna mess up when you're walking out and you're gonna yell at somebody, you're gonna cut somebody off, you're gonna mess up. Thank goodness we don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Like what a comfort that is to my heart that I've jumped on the subway, I've been disobedient, I have not lived out faith wholeheartedly. But thank goodness that Jesus died for me when I wasn't good enough. And he did the same for you. He came when you were still yet a sinner. Christ died for you. So tonight, if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, Ruby, that is me. I am on the subway currently. I am taking some detours if I'm just being honest. I don't want you to leave tonight without talking to somebody about that. I want you to sleep well tonight. I want you to have that burden off your chest. I want you to get it out into the light. So tonight, before you leave, we're gonna have some people, some amazing men and women over here on the side that are available to pray with you. That's what they're here for. They would love nothing more than to pray with you and talk with you tonight. So if that's you and you're saying, I need Jesus in my life, whether you've been following him for a really long time Or today, you're like, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. This is the first time I'm hearing of it. Either way, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you take that jump and leap of faith and live out your faith 
have live faith, right? We wanna be alive in Christ. So please don't leave tonight without coming and talking to us. Let me pray for us tonight as we, as we finish our time together. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the ways that you're working in all of our hearts, for the way you're working in my heart. And I just wanna pray for my friends here tonight that you would help us live out our faith, that we would have a live faith in you, that we would practice obedience, always remembering that that doesn't mean perfection and not holding ourselves to an impossible standard, but practice living out our faith. God, because you have given us a great treasure and what a shame it would be to keep that treasure inside a box and locked away. So I pray you would help us to live out our faith, live out our obedience to you. We love you, Lord. In all this we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.